Okay, so Rocky, we're going on our second in the series of Rocky last week. Uh, we entitled, well, the lesson was, What Are You Waiting For? Fur? You're right. What are we waiting for? Uh, Rocky, again, for those of you, if you weren't here last week, that was basically, that was one of the names for Peter. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't name Peter Peter. He named him Petra, which is a Greek, which is the word for rock. And we take it and kind of anglicized it and called Petra, we call it Peter. And uh, But it basically, Jesus started calling him Rock. And we kind of anglicized that and call it Rocky. So pretty much the lessons aren't about Rocky Balboa, but about Peter uh, and instances and circumstances in his life. However, we do kind of sneak some things from the movies, like for instance in Rocky Three. Uh, okay, oh, you like that one, huh? Okay, Brayden likes that one. But uh, it was a good one, i got to admit. And Because uh, today we're going to talk about making changes, and don't be afraid to, to do things differently or to make a change. And what happens in Rocky Three? that's the one where Clubber Lang played expertly, he was snubbed by the Oscars, uh, by Mr. T. Remember Mr. T, it's like, what is your prediction, Clubber, for the fight? Pain. You know, one of the greatest movie lines right there, you know. But Rocky loses his title to Clubber Lane. Not only that, but he loses his best friend and trainer, Mickey, who dies right before the fight. And then, consequently, he loses his confidence and his drive and his passion. And then his old nemesis, Apollo Creed, comes back and says, maybe we can do this together. Let me train you. But he tries to train him, but... Apollo ain't Mickey, and it's all different, and it's all new, and Rocky, he just can't, how do you do this, you know, and he was very, he couldn't make the changes, it was so hard for him to make the changes, because when you get right down to it, most people hate change, really the only ones who like change is, is wet babies, but I have found out that most of the time, even a lot of them aren't too fired up about it, we, we struggle with change. I don't know why, maybe it's that we just get comfortable with the way things are, uh, or, or change is, is leading us into the unknown, and that makes us uncomfortable. Perhaps it could have been something to do with, the, uh, you know, that if I, if I change, then what that implies is I'm wrong, therefore I need to change, and I don't, I don't like being wrong, and so I don't know. Maybe change, maybe it does imply that we're wrong, but not necessarily. But that, that's just a weird thing. None of us like it, and, and, and so we do it. Maybe it came, I don't know, you know, you get very psychological. Um, you know, the way we were raised, I was only accepted when I got everything absolutely right. And there was that pressure. You got to get everything right. And if you didn't get it right, nothing was worth anything. And so we kind of carry that on with us, that insecurity. But what if we need to change simply because it's time for a change? You know, sometimes it's just time for a change. And it's amazing how things, you know, Phyllis and I, we tend to watch these, you know, there's entire channels on these home renovation or shows, you know, and people go into these houses and you look at the old and we forget that at some point in time, somebody thought avocado green appliances was good looking. <laughs> and it's not that 
you know, it, the refrigerator doesn't work. Or what, it's, just, it's time for a change. You know, it's, it's time to update it. Now, our church is going through some changes, particularly about how we study the Bible with people and what we do and how we partner with God to help bring other people to faith. Some people, again, well, I don't like that. Why? Because I don't like change. Change makes me feel insecure. I don't know where we're going. Well, that's why we're here. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's where we're going to bring up Peter, our Rocky. In Acts chapter 10, there was a big change. Now, I will admit, going over this, this has become much more of a teaching sermon versus inspiring sermon. So, bear with me as we try to dissect something, because this in Acts chapter 10, God introduces something that literally will rock the very unity and cooperation of the church for the next 40 to 50 years. He introduces something. He, what he's about to do is open the door for the Gentiles to come into the church, the non-Jewish people. Now this was okay with the Jewish people, but to them you had to become Jewish first. Then you could become a Christian. Because up until this time, and admittedly, you look at the church, the church, by the time we hit Acts 10, the church is somewhere between 5 and 10 years old at this point. So for the first several years of the church, only Jewish people were in the church. That's all that was allowed to be in the church. They thought that's the way it ought to be. Why? Well, because Jesus was the Messiah. Who was the Messiah? He was what everybody in the Jewish religion was looking forward to. He was the appointed one. I'm sorry, appointed, anointed one. He was the one God told them to look for. And so they were very, very much Jewish. And we can even find in histories and different things like that, they're still take, practicing many Jewish practices as Christians. Because to them, there really was not Christians and Jews. It was Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And that's the way it was until later when it became evident Christianity was something totally different. Acts chapter 10 is really the beginning of that realization. So they did a lot of different things and all these Jewish practices. And one of the biggest ones, at least for the men, was circumcision. This was the mark of the covenant with God. Without it, you are not God. To be considered or called an uncircumcised person, that was code for not a real Jew, not God's person, not saved. That was code for all of those things. They also had another word they used for that, and it was unclean. Now this is going to be very important. Let's go to our text in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. We're talking about Peter here. It says, about noon the following day, as they uh, went on their journey and were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. It's a good thing to do. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth uh, by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure 
that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then immediately, the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now, while Peter was wondering about the, even, uh, the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out asking Simon, uh, who was known as Peter, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. But let's get this down here. In these dreams, God is beginning to explain to Peter that there's going to be something new. There's going to be something different. And by the way, those guys down at the gate, that's what I'm talking about. That's going to be something different. This new different thing had to do with clean and unclean. Remember, though, that's code for God's not God, saved, lost. Now understand, Peter was a good Jew. He was raised from childhood, from birth in the Jewish faith. Obeying the law of Moses. And one of the very prominent parts of that law dealt with what animals you could and could not eat. What was clean, what was unclean. Deuteronomy 14 goes into exhausting detail on this. Very specific. So from childhood, Peter had learned, you don't eat that, you can't eat that, that's okay, that's not okay. And this was very important. It's no small thing. Because if you eat something unclean, guess what that does? That makes you unclean, right? It's kind of like cooties, right? You get the unclean cooties or whatever. If that was unclean and you ate it, you took that in, you now you're unacceptable to God. You are lost. He had no concept at this point in time of things that you and I take for granted. He had no concept of the new covenant replacing the old, as, is, as the Bible says in Hebrews uh, 8.13. Matter of fact, it says in Hebrews 8.13, it makes the old one obsolete. But they didn't understand this. To them, Jesus was just the culmination of the old. The cherry on top of the Old, Test old Covenant Sunday. It wasn't, he replaced it. So Peter's freaking out. And food wasn't the only thing considered unclean. From birth, Peter had been taught that Gentiles, and those are the ones that are unclean, those, that's code for everybody that ain't Jewish. They had a lot of codes, didn't they? Had a lot of names for them. They were all unclean. They were all unacceptable to God. That's why after Peter returned to Jerusalem, after this whole scene in Acts 10, and he had baptized Cornelius, and he hung out to him in chapter 11, when he returned to Jerusalem, the very first thing that happens in verse 2, the, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised people and ate with them. Why? Because you don't do that. You don't associate with the Gentiles like that. You don't eat with them. You don't go out to dinner with them. You do not go into their home. Heaven forbid you should spend the night in their home. You don't do any of those things. They called them Gentile dogs. This was not a term of endearment. This is how passionate people were. They would, if, if, if you bought something from a Gentile, then you would have to take it and wash it and go through a ceremonial washing to make that unclean thing that came from that unclean person to make it acceptable and clean. Some Jewish homes had large tubs called mikvahs that were for washing larger items, you know, if you had to do that. Because, understand, they took this very, very seriously. And this is a side note. This is... 
This is kind of part of the problem that the Jewish nation has had through the centuries of integrating into other societies. It's because when you take that position, it tends to insult other people. And they get upset about it, and it would cause friction with your neighbors. But Jews would accept Gentiles only on one condition. They had to convert to Judaism. Okay, they had to be go, become clean. And for the men, that meant you had to go under the knife. However, God was about to change all of that. Now, God had planned to bring the Gentiles into the church all along. This was always part of his plan. He is starting to initiate that plan right here in Acts chapter 10. And he understood that this was going to happen. He always had the plan that the, the Gentiles were going to come into the church. He never intended for them to become Jewish or to be circumcised and all of that type of stuff. That was never part of the plan. The circumcision was a, a mark of the old covenant, just as baptism was a mark of the new covenant. And God was trying to help them. So to bring about this change, he brings up two very prominent people. Number one, Cornelius. We read a little bit about him uh, you know, when people from Cornelius came to Peter, where we find him is in chapter 10, verse 22. People are telling a little bit about him. The man replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion, who is a righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, kind of like what we were doing this morning in Bible class, who is this guy? Okay, he's a Roman official. He's a centurion, which means he is in charge of a hundred people in the Roman army. So he's Roman. We see in another text that it was called the Italian Regiment, so he's probably an Italian Roman from actually Italy. I mean, he's full-blown Roman. Yet it says he's a God-fearing man. What that term means is that he, he, he knows God, he likes God, but he has not converted yet. He has not become a full-blown Jew. If he had, he never would have been allowed to stay in the Roman army. He never would have been allowed to keep his position as a centurion, for sure. But he still prayed. He still did good things. And he was praying to God. God sends him an angel that says, you need to go talk to this guy named Peter. He's got a message for you. And so that brings us to our second person, Peter. Stubborn, hard-headed Peter. Why do I say that? Because God had to repeat his dream to Peter three times. That's never happened before. Sometimes God would repeat a dream twice. Occasionally God would revamp a vision or a dream and kind of, okay, okay, you didn't get it that way. How about this? And he would try a different tack. But never before or since did he give the exact same conversation like that in a dream or vision three times times he's very patient with peter why well because people hate change god said kill and eat peter said no three separate times god has to say peter don't call what i make clean unclean he's turning down bacon people i'm saying that's stubborn <laughs> that's stubborn hard-headed but he still didn't get God's plan. But what happened was at least it got him to Cornelius' house. It got him to go to Cornelius' house, which he would not have done before. Why? Because people hate change. 
the most prominent apostle at the time, the guy whom Jesus had said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the preacher on the day of Pentecost, now he gets to go to this guy's house. And he goes, and something amazing happens. Now the whole story is laid out in verses 24 through 48. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to summarize the beginning, and then we'll pick up later uh, as, as, as Peter kind of gets to the climax of his lesson. You see, Peter comes to Cornelius' house. He explains what happens to him, and he goes, Okay, Mr. Cornelius, why am I here? Because Peter still didn't know. So Cornelius goes, Well, I had a vision too. And it's told me to send for you because you could come because they thought you knew why you were here. <laughs> so Peter goes, All right, he's not stupid. I need to talk to this guy about Jesus. And he starts preaching the word and telling him about Jesus and the message. Now, Again, notice, it's interesting, Cornelius said, an angel came to me in a vision and told me to send for you. Do you are you like me? Do you ever think, why didn't the angel just tell him? I mean, you got his attention, he's right there. Why not be efficient about this? But that never happens in the New Testament. It's always... If it's an angel coming to Cornelius, if it's Jesus himself in, in, in Acts 16 or 22, both telling the story of, of, of the Saul of Tarsus, Jesus himself saying, go talk to this guy. He's got a message for you. That's why we encourage everybody, get in a Bible study with somebody else. Because that's the way everybody did it in the Bible. Nobody did it on their own. Everybody said, "I help me, show me. Show me what you've got. Show me what someone has shown you. And we help people. And we show them just simply what other people have shown me. That's exactly what's going on right here. So Peter goes, okay, let me share with you what I know. So he begins to preach about Jesus. I still get the distinct impression that they're still planning on circumcising these guys before they baptize them. I do that because of what happens next. Now, in chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's talking about preaching Jesus there, the Holy Spirit came on all of those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with, G with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely nobody can stand in the way of these guys being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Pete to stay with them for a few days. That verse 45, the circumcised believers, okay, with Peter. That means the Jewish believers, okay, the Jewish Christians with Peter. It says they were astonished. I looked up that word, astonished. The number one definition was thrown out of place. In other words, it rocked them off their, it knocked them off their feet. It rocked their world. It blew their ever-living heads. They couldn't believe it. Why? Because these guys weren't circumcised. They're not Jewish. What are they doing with the Holy Spirit? This is not how it's supposed to work. They're not ready to be baptized yet. But then Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way. Peter speaks up. And it shows that they planned to baptize them. That was their goal. But 
They probably would have prevented them until they became Jewish first. But now, Peter was beginning to get the picture. And it took a while because people hate change. Because God was saying, Peter, everything you believe to be true on this point up until now, it might have been true, but it needs to change now. You need to change now. In Acts chapter 10, we find God changed the entire process to show that he accepted Gentiles without them needing to become Jewish first. Later in Acts 15, this threw the church into such a tizzy. The church overall, they had to have a big conference to come talk about it. And in Acts 15, we have that conference, and uh, they had to deal with all of these things. And even after this conference, people who could not and would not accept it would go around and start messing with other churches and telling them, yeah, these Gentiles are great, but they need to become Jews. They need to get circumcised. That's why we have things in Ephesians and in Galatians and, and, and in Romans that talk about salvation with works was dealing with this very issue. Your salvation is not dependent upon you becoming Jewish and doing these Jewish things to accept Jesus. It skips that and goes straight to Jesus. But people couldn't handle it. They couldn't figure it out. Why? Because people hate change. Towards the end of the conference... In Acts 15, Peter said in, in, in chapter 15, verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He's talking about here, just like in Acts chapter 2. They're sitting there, boom, the Holy Spirit comes, and it comes down on those guys, and they're speaking in tongues, and they go, whoa, this is it. We're starting. That was a starting gun, if you will. The church has begun. We're going. And he preaches the message. Acts chapter 10, it happens exactly the same way to show, but we're, we're, now we're really going, we're opening it up to the rest of the world, not just to the Jewish nation. It's the only two times that this ever happened like this. The only two times the Bible ever talks about this happening at the very beginning and in the beginning of the gospel going out to everybody in the Gentiles. It took that dramatic of an instance, that dramatic of a happening to get people's attention, to get them to change, even the Apostle Peter. Why? People hate change. Now, what's the takeaway of all of this? I mean, you learn stuff, you hear stuff, you go, oh, that's cool. But if I don't get anything from it, what really good does it do me? Right? What's the takeaway? Sometimes God calls us to make changes. I know how difficult it can be. I know how difficult it can be to be wrestling with something in my faith or in my doctrine or my theology that's different than what I was raised with. That's different than what my mom and dad may have taught me. That what preacher, you know, whoever, preacher Reynolds or whoever taught me growing up. And I'm called to make a change, but changes are hard because people hate change especially religious change. And I hear time and again, that's just not how I was raised. Well, Peter could have said that for sure. That ain't how I was raised. And God's going, quit calling stuff unclean. I've made it clean. Three times. Don't, don't make me say it four. 
Change is okay and good as long as it is based upon God's Word. We don't change God's Word, and God's Word is not going to change. Matter of fact, Paul makes that very clear as he writes to the church in, in the city of Galatia. Okay? And he says in chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, I am astonished. I'm shocked, he says, that you're so quickly deserting the one who has called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel that's really not a gospel at all. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. See, they weren't taking Jesus out of it. They were just twisting it a little. They were changing it up. They were adding some stuff here, maybe taking some stuff away here. They still left Jesus in there. They were just perverting or twisting the gospel of Christ. But here's Paul's attitude in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's pretty tough talk. Other translations say, instead of under God's curse, it says, let them be eternally condemned. That's tough talk. So he, but if that's not it, he says it in verse 9 again. As we've already said, no, I'm saying it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. There's not going to be a new gospel. There's not going to be new twists on it. There's not going to be a revelation of a new way. If one comes along, he says, don't believe it. Paul says, stick with the one you got, the one I gave you. That's the one we have here in the Bible. But that doesn't mean we don't grow, and that doesn't mean we don't change. The more we mature, the more we look at, the more we understand and become like Christ, we open up and say, wow, okay, I see that now. And I grow, and I change. Without change, none of us who are not born into the Jewish faith would be allowed into the kingdom of God without first becoming Jewish. Change is a good thing. Rocky accepted change. And he fought and won back his title at the end of the movie. Little spoiler alert. <laughs> Caught you off guard on that one. Sometimes we as a church need to change things. And that's hard for people. Sometimes we find security and solace in everything being the same. This is set. Everything in the world changes. Technology changes. Politics change. All kinds of things. But at least here we don't change. No, sometimes in the church we need to change. Sometimes as individuals we need to change. That's why we're going as a church. We go through this. We're, we're in the midst of this fast together. And everybody talked about you know two things. And one is we, we determine what do I need to change and grow in as an individual. Where do I need to change? And then secondly, how can I change and how can we as a church change, particularly as we talk about sharing our faith and bringing others to the Lord? And we're fasting for this thing and, and up until next Sunday, I guess, is the end of the fast. And many people are doing different things for this. Why? Because we want to change. We need to change. Don't fear change. Change is not necessarily something to be afraid of. If it's in the Word, do it. Change and grow and mature. 
to be like Jesus as a church or as an individual. It can be hard, but there is no growth without change. But there is no change without pain. So it can be hard, but don't fear the change as we grow. I praise God that Peter didn't fear the change. It took him a while. It took him a while for it to click. But I praise God he didn't fear the change. And it opened up the gospel to the rest of the world. What would have happened if he had dug his heels in? Nope, nope, nope. Not going to happen. I shudder to think. I pray none of us will have that heart. That we will, like Peter, like Rocky, our Rocky, not fear the change, but embrace it and let God lead us where he wants us to be.